How do you live? Podcast. My name is Charlie Morley and I teach workshops and courses in something called lucid dreaming and mindfulness of dream and sleep. And I write books on the subject as well. Then I could trace it to this time when I was 17, when I had an experience that at the time, it sounds really epic, but at the time it wasn't epic. At the time it was just really bad. Um, and I didn't see it as very significant. But looking back on it, I think it, a lot of things started at that point. And it was when I had uh, a kind of a drugs overdose. So I took a load of ketamine uh, and acid together and pills together. And I actually thought the ketamine was speed. So I did like a massive line of K uh, and then had the classic kind of K-hole experience, uh, but then something a little bit worse. And it seems like my heart stopped for a little bit. Um, and I had this classic uh, kind of tunnel experience, this bright, like purple light tunnel and zooming down this tunnel. And then there are all these photos that start to appear on the side. And I remember thinking like in the, in the trip experience, like, oh, look, there are photos of me. Like I'm like a kid and I'm a baby and I'm a younger baby. And then I just had a moment of panic and I was like, what comes before younger baby? And then I realized it was my life going backwards. And then it went boom into this massive like void, massive black space where I had no body and there was no sense of time. Like because there was no panic of am I stuck in here forever because time, time had kind of gone. Um, and this massive void, and then in the void was a voice. And it was my voice. And it said, Charlie, do you want to live or do you want to die? And I remember I, was get, I was, had this shock of like, I get to choose. And then panic came in. And I was like, yeah, I want to live. And I just remember going, live. And then there's this sound like boom, 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 and for a moment I thought like it, it was like drums or something. And looking back, and I think it was probably the sound of my heart starting again because it was like kind of a heart And then I kind of boom came back to consciousness, and there were a couple of friends looking down on me, and I'd obviously I was like on the floor having this thing. Um, and then it kind of continued and it lasted for, for a few more hours after that. And I had some really bad kind of a few hours after that. So it wasn't really love and light. And then I got the train home the next morning and start having really bad nightmares after that. Like nightmares and this feeling of um, uh, agoraphobia, I think it's called, where you're like scared to go outside. So I locked myself into the toilet cubicles at college because it felt really kind of safe and cozy in the toilet cubicles when I started to have panic attacks. Now I realize that was like a near-death experience and you met, I don't know, what God or whatever was there and it, it wasn't some other being. It was me saying, do you want to live or do you want to die? So that was interesting. But at the time it wasn't some epic thing. It was just this really fucked up experience. Um, but it led to a lot of things because I started having these terrible nightmares after that, like four months of, again, what I now realize were probably post-traumatic stress nightmares based on the trauma of the event um, and panic attacks during the day, this feeling of not wanting to be outside. And the nightmares led me to explore lucid dreaming. So at 17, I was having some lucid dreams. I bought a couple of lucid dreaming books, but I hadn't really 
explored it for anything other than just like flying about and having sex with movie stars and stuff like that. But after that experience, because the nightmares got so bad, I reread one of the lucid dreaming books and it had a chapter about how if you could become lucid, so a lucid dream is a dream where you know that you're dreaming as the dream is happening. If you can get lucid in the nightmare, then rather than running from it, which will lead the nightmare to keep on repeating, you could turn and face the, the demon, you know, turn and face the, the trauma. So I reread that and I thought, well, look, I've got to try and do this because it's kind of wrecking my life. I was trying to stay awake at nights by drinking coffee and stuff like that. So I didn't have to go to sleep. But then when I went to sleep, the nightmares came. Um, so I thought, I've got to see if I can do this lucid dreaming thing. So I tried. And the first three times I got lucid in the nightmare, I just woke up. It was too much. It was always the same thing. Again, it, it doesn't... It, there's significance now, but at the time it just seemed crazy. The nightmare was this little dwarf guy would appear. He was like a dwarf with a shaved head. And he'd turn up in the dream, he'd just look at me through one eye. And somehow that dwarf was, was death, or that dwarf was the, the drugs overdose, or whatever it was. So he'd turn up. And whenever he turned up, it was like, you're, you're in the nightmare. Not only are you in the nightmare, but you're still dead. That was the main theme of the nightmare, that you'd never woken up. And that your life after the trip had still been in the trip. You know, terrible kind of imaginary nightmare. But on the fourth one, when I managed to get lucid, I, turned, I got lucid and I was like, I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming. And the dwarf guy was there. And I turned to him and I should have embraced him with love and acceptance and all this stuff that I now tell people to do. But I was 17, so I didn't. I turned to him and I was like, all right, I get it. I fucking get it. I see, like I see that you're my mind. I see this is a nightmare. And the dwarf, his face changed. He was looking at me like through one eye and then suddenly he went, hmm, like he was surprised. And then he did this thing like a magician, like ta-da. And behind him appeared a 17-year-old view of paradise, which was like a big vert skate ramp. Like I used to skateboard, so a big vert skate ramp. And at the top of the skate ramp, there were these girls in bikinis smoking spliffs. A 17-year-old's vision of paradise. Quite a good vision of paradise, I think, actually, for any, any age. But specifically for 17, that was my vision of paradise. And I knew it. In the dream, I was like, oh, that's done. I'm not having those nightmares again. And I didn't. They stopped literally overnight after that dream. And that's when I realized the potential power of lucid dreaming. And that's why for the last nine years that I've been going around teaching and writing books on lucid dreaming, a specific um, passion of mine is to work with people who have nightmares, um, especially veterans from wars who have post-traumatic stress disorder nightmares, um, people who've worked with the lady who's in the... Uh, bus bombings at Tavistock Square, some people who've had some childhood abuse stuff. And I'm really into helping people with nightmares, learn lucid dreaming, because I know for myself how powerful it can be. So in many ways, I'm thankful for that moment, because if it hadn't been for that, I wouldn't have had the nightmares, I wouldn't have seen the full potential of lucid dreaming, and probably it could have been years before I started taking it seriously enough to then eventually start teaching it. Um, and then the other thing that event led to was these panic attacks. So I get these really bad panic attacks running in parallel in those four months while I was having the nightmares. 
and needing feeling like I wanted to be in small spaces and stuff. And I remember thinking, like, if I tell someone about this, because I thought I'll tell the college nurse, I thought if I tell her, I'm going to get, you know, the men in white coats are going to come because I won't be able to tell half the story. I have to tell the whole story and it'll be really bad. So I thought I've got to try and do this myself. So I started to look into meditation and Buddhism, a subject I'd been interested in, like I was interested in lucid dreaming around the age, but had never really explored properly. So then I started looking into that and learning meditation and stuff and how to relax and to calm my mind. And that helped with the panic attacks. And they eventually went too. And now I live in a Buddhist center. I've lived in a Buddhist center for like seven years. I've taught lucid dreaming for nine years. It's been my life for almost a decade now, Buddhism and, and lucid dream practice. And a lot of that is due to meeting my teachers and having really good guidance and all this kind of stuff. But actually, if I trace it far enough back, it, it goes back to that moment where I, I took too many drugs and had what I now realize was probably like a near-death experience. So in Buddhism, there's this term, no mud, no lotus. You need the mud to grow the lotus seed. You know, the lotus flower can't grow from crystal, it's said. The, the lotus flower is in muddy, dirty water. It needs that fertile soil uh, to sprout into the lotus flower of awakening. So I guess that might be in a little case of no mud, no lotus. You know, I needed that kind of shit of the experience to provide to provide what shit is, fertilizer. To fertilize that little seed of, of, um, of whatever it was that I had when I was a teenager. And the other interesting thing is I've just done this life review process, which I did as an exercise in my new book where you, you recapitulate as much of your life as you can by cutting your life into five-year chunks and then writing down every memorable fact, incident, achievement, failure, trauma, amazing thing that happened, and you write it down. And this takes hours and hours and hours, obviously at least maybe kind of a couple of hours for each five-year chunk. Um, and it was a really interesting process. Now, by the end of it, you've either got a massive piece of paper almost kind of like a spider diagram, a massive spider diagram, or I did it in my iPhone, in which case you've just got a massive list, like zero to five, and then a massive long bullet point list, and then, you know, five to ten, all this kind of stuff. And that was a really interesting process for me because I started to see this kind of co-created myth of who I think I am. But actually who I think I am is this, amalgamation of stories, some of which happened and some of which I remember happening, but almost like they didn't happen to me. And it was really interesting to see this, how through my life I'd kind of constructed this story of who I thought I was. And when I saw it on the paper, or in my case, on the iPhone in front of me, it was kind of tragic in that I realized so much of the time I'd let other people write the story for me and that my memories were based on other people's narrative of how I was expected to be or who I should have been or who people wanted me to be to meet their expectations. But it was also liberating in that I saw from now on I can be the scriptwriter 
Because once you acknowledge your story as a myth, you can then become your own mythologist and have a sense of humor around this illusory amalgamation of stuff that I think of as Charlie. And that was really liberating. And also it freed up memory. You know, the reason that you do the life review within certain um, of the ancient Mexican dreaming traditions is because it's said that we often, well, as you know, we dream about memories, things we've done in the day, things from our past, things that might happen in the future, but primarily we dream of things from our past. So if you can download, if you can recapitulate your entire life, if you can download it onto the paper, then you free up the hard drive of the mind for more clear dreams. So rather than dreaming of the past all the time, you might be dreaming about either the present or from the Mexican tradition, which is shamanic, possibly prophetic dreams, the ability to dream of the future. I mean, it gets all a bit weird there. But I've noticed the dreams change. And I've noticed my dreamer within the dreams change as if the dreamer is acknowledging this myth of who I thought I was too. Again, this sounds more epic than it was. It sounds like the near-death thing sounds really epic and then the life review sounds really epic. It's not actually epic. It's magnificently ordinary but there is a magnificence to it because everyone has the same thing. It's totally ordinary because it's the same for everyone, I think, but it's magnificent because you see how, how we're kind of duped into who we think we are or who we think we should be. And that once you start to recapitulate your story, doing something like the life review or just reflecting on life for long periods of time, like it needs to be a long period of time doing this. Um, you see the myth and then the story starts to collapse. And when it starts to collapse, there's freedom in that, I think. An interesting thing to try, just as like an experiment, is to live your life as if you were in a lucid dream. So let me explain. In a lucid dream, you know that you're dreaming while you're dreaming. So you know that everything is a projection of your own mind. So if you meet someone angry in the lucid dream, you know, okay, that's part of my psychology, which is uh, maybe a bit out of balance, a little bit angry. Uh, if you meet, you know, an angel in the lucid dream, you know, that's your inner angel. You know, you know that everything's part of you in a lucid dream. So it's quite interesting to consider what would happen if you spent the next 24 hours living your life as if you're in a lucid dream, not totally, like, and go and fly off a balcony or go and have sex with a neighbor or something like that, you know. But just imagining, if this was a dream, how would I respond? So when we walk past the homeless person on the street and we think, if this was a lucid dream, I wouldn't walk past them. I'd be like, that's my inner homeless person. So I'm going to at least dialogue with them, if not give them money, and at most give them a massive hug and acknowledge that they're my inner homeless person. Then you go to the bank and you're queuing up and someone uh, cuts in front of you at the queue or someone's really aggressive in the queue with you. And again, just to stop and think, if this was a lucid dream, how would I respond? I'd think, ah, this is my inner angry person. This is my inner queue jumper. This is part of me which is out of balance. So how do I respond now? And it's probably not with anger. It's probably with a sense of, uh, a sense of amusement of like, oh, my inner cue jumper, isn't this fascinating? This person has chosen me 
out of all the people in the queue to jump in front of, what an offering to practice patience or to practice shadow integration or whatever it may be. So that's an interesting thing. It's not just for fun, just, an, it, it, just as an imagination experiment to live life thinking, if this was a lucid dream, how would I respond? And often it is the difference between reacting and responding. So before we react to think, ah, could I respond in this, in this way? And it's not just for kind of negative things, like I mentioned, it's really positive things. Like in a lucid dream, would you ever turn down an opportunity? I mean, in a lucid dream, if someone comes up to you and says, do you want to fly? You're like, yeah, I want to fly, because it's a dream. But so often in life, people come up to us and they're like, do you want to fly? Whatever that means, through this loving relationship or through this new job or through this, this, this joint endeavor or this artistic project, they're asking us, do you want to fly? And so often we say no, because we're scared or we don't trust our ability or we think we can't do it. But in a lucid dream, you know you can do it, so you go for it. I'm not encouraging people shirking responsibility. It's not kind of Dadaism, leave your children in the woods, let them run wild and free. This is about trying to see others uh, like they're part of your dream and treating them with the same love and compassion that you treat your dreamer. So that's something interesting to try.